Hi, and welcome to the Inclusive Workplace podcast. I'm Ursula Tavender, and I'm so happy that you're here with us as we tell the stories of how organisations are navigating the most pressing inclusion issues. Thank you for being here. Hi everyone and a huge welcome to the Inclusive Workplace podcast. I'm Ursula Tavender, one of the co-founders of the Inclusive Workplace and today I am joined by the wonderful Rachel Vecht, uh, founder of Educating Matters. Today we are going to be having what feels like an incredibly important conversation right now. And at the Inclusive Workplace, we have known for a while that we have wanted to say something and do something because saying nothing and doing nothing feels absolutely wrong. Um, But it's hard to know what to say um, and what to do about the current world events. So that's why we've invited Rachel to, to come on the podcast and talk in a conversation which transcends the political landscape. Um, But we're going to be talking today about the human issues um, to support leaders as they support their people um, in dealing with the repercussions of the conflict in Gaza and uh, reflecting on the atrocities that happened in October. Um, So, Rachel, thank you so, so much for joining me for this vital conversation. Um, Can you just please introduce yourself because you'll do a, a beautiful job of it, way better than I could do. Um, So if you could just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, that'd be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, well, firstly, thank you for having me and for prioritising this conversation. So I started out my career as a primary school teacher. Uh, I did that for about seven years. And then I had my first child 22 years ago, back in 2001, which is when I founded Educating Matters. I've had three further children during that time. And I started out by working with organisations to support parents and carers with all aspects of educating, raising children, integrating work and family. And obviously within a family, there's a lot of intersectionality. So over time, um, my business Educating Matters has evolved into supporting people with all the other aspects of caring, neurodiversity, allyship, LGBT class, lots of different topics, but basically my expertise is is parenting and raising kids. Amazing, thank you so much. Um, I wanted to start by asking how you are and how your family are doing. So I can't, I don't even know how many days it is since the 7th of October, but I do kind of feel like I'm living in a bit of a a parallel universe and as if there was a life um, before and after. Mm-hmm. I was actually there in Israel with my two youngest children on the 7th of October and that evening experienced being in a house in pitch darkness because we turned off all the lights, we heard gunshots and noise outside and wanted to make it look like there was no one at home and it's really ever since then um, a deep kind of heaviness sitting on my heart and in my mind all the time. And I know that a lot of my friends and family and community feel the same. So 
it's been on it to be honest like I have all my usual work and it's been a great distraction but very mm -hmm. hard to to focus to think clearly and there's like this deep sadness about what the future might hold um it like it really impacted different members of my family mm -hmm. like my daughter is 20 and she found out quite quickly that a child a, a former schoolmate in her form um was murdered um the sibling of a really good friend of hers is um still a hostage and over time what's getting even more difficult is is the rise in anti-semitism so every single day we are making decisions as a family about what our children can or can't do i feel like i went on the tube yesterday and i have like this feeling of high alert and kind of second guessing yeah. myself and others around me and that's really not my nature i'm usually like not a warrior quite laid back and chilled um and it's hard to also see um it's hard to, to i mean i love i love being in england and being in britain i've always been extremely proud especially in london like some other parts of england are not quite as diverse in culture but it just feels like a a really tolerant, tolerant, amazing place to live. And it is hard to watch like people celebrating and dancing about the death of Jews. Um, and and some of, I don't know if everyone in the protest realized, but some of those chants are, are really calling for Jews to be like wiped off the face of the earth. And I, you know, as a mum, my heart does bleed for all those innocent civilians in Gaza as well um and and it's absolutely right to support the millions of innocent people who are you know caught up in this but also it, there's a distinction between that and this unbelievable violence and brutality um from from Hamas and I think I'm only reflecting now but we kind of I think Jewish people a lot of Jewish people live with with a generational trauma so my grandmother was German she was a holocaust survivor I heard stories as a child of how she was hidden in a convent in Rome and I didn't ever really believe or understand how easily it could happen again and seeing some of that long-standing hatred for Jewish people bubbling under the surface is really difficult um, and scary and um, I think one of the hardest things for me in the world that I work in like I just think diversity and inclusion is such an incredible space but it's been also quite hard to see the silence or the stance of people in this world that you you hope are really open and tolerant and educated and kind of gurus of cultural intelligence I think that my community is feeling quite a lot of despair and loneliness, to be honest. I think the fear that holds people back from saying something, even if they don't know what to say, is is such a big factor at play here, isn't it? And in a in a completely different way. I remember, so my husband had cancer last year, and he made a video where he said how deafening the silence was to him of all the people who had said nothing and he looked right into the camera and he said you don't know need to know what to say and you know all I'm looking for all my heart needs right now is to know that you're there 
And I think that is such a, you know, the, the, the response he got from that when, you know, people reached out to him and said, it felt like you were looking into my soul when you said that, because I'm one of those people that if I don't feel I've got anything constructive to say, or I don't feel like I can add any value to this conversation, then I won't say anything. And it is the fear that holds me back from getting it wrong or from saying something that's completely ridiculous that you know, that prevents me from from stepping forward into this conversation and just being that vulnerable. And I think that that message is really valid here, isn't it? Because there are so many people who I've spoken to who have said, I just don't know what to say. And I think the same goes for, for so many leaders, doesn't it, in organisations right now who are, because it is such a politically charged conversation, they have so many stakeholders to be thinking about that it, is difficult to know which which way to turn with it. Um, and I was really inspired recently when I saw um, that you shared on, on LinkedIn your some of your work that you've done in response um, to the recent events and your own experience. And, and my gratitude to you for sharing your own experience is overflowing here, Rachel. So I, I can't thank you enough for that. Um, but I'd like to ask you next about the work that you've done since um, the 7th of October and, um, you know, what, what you did in, in response. Yeah, so so basically in like kind of over two decades of running my business and talking about the importance of showing up as your whole self at work, madly, I'd never ever uttered in a work context that I was Jewish and kind mm -hmm. of on the 9th of October, I, I guess you could call it, coming out as Jewish to the corporate yeah. world. And then it's only now I'm reflecting on why I masked or hid such a fundamental part of my identity. And I hadn't even really analyzed what a, I didn't want to open myself up to hatred and negativity and politically charged conversations because I didn't really know, like I don't want to do that. And it, I didn't want to expose my children to danger. I even feared, I realize now that people wouldn't want to work with me if they were, knew I was Jewish. And I know a lot of mm -hmm. Jewish people now are still terrified to say anything. They're still hiding. And now I'm thinking, well, if someone doesn't want to work with me for who I am, then probably I shouldn't be working with them anyway. And mm -hmm. then I just thought to be really authentic, I have to kind of say what who I am. Yeah. And that's when the emails and phone calls started coming through and everything, all my previous work has been about facilitating inclusive conversations, talking about psychological safety, raising awareness and understanding. And I realized that my job and mission was to now be in a place to share that lived experience of a Jewish person, just how I've given that platform for someone with autism or being a parent or a carer or being black or any other topic um, and realizing how people just didn't feel psychologically and physically safe and then I was like well what, what am I going to offer so I felt I felt the fear of getting it right so basically I started by hosting big forums like cross-company forums for HR leads inclusion leads like just to share their challenges and I started to really listen to these voices. And I worked was working with um, a woman called Michal Oshman. She used to be the head of culture at TikTok, very, very experienced in leadership. 
And we're like, we cannot do this alone. And the three main themes we discovered was one, supporting and educating leadership teams on just how to understand and navigate this and providing that space for them to have a conversation about it. Some of our work has been around working more with Jewish affinity groups and networks. And I didn't realize till the other day that in the US, you're not allowed, they don't have religious affinity groups, quite interestingly, but we do here. Okay. Um, and then the third element is helping organizations as a whole just understand like how it feels and how they can support and come from a place of empathy and understanding. But what we've seen is every organization needs something quite different in a way they never have with others because of their unique makeup. Like who are the stakeholders? Who are their main clients? Where are they based? Yeah. Their employee? It's, you know, it's kind of complicated, but really listening at I've never had like three prep calls for one event type thing. That's what we're finding <laughs> happening. Because of that, you know, like you said, that fear of getting it wrong. And I'm actually saying to my client, like, tell me, what is it you're afraid of? And it's exactly like you said with your husband. It's not, it's not only about this. Like with cancer or someone comes into work having lost a baby, you so want to do the right thing and yeah. you actually, Absolutely, like with anything else, you don't need to have all the answers, you don't need to have exp experience what that person is experiencing, you've just got to like reach out and mm -hmm. say like, I have no idea what to say, I don't know mm -hmm. how you're feeling, I can't imagine, but I just, I've said very often to people, like someone who's lost a partner to, to suicide, I've said like, I, I really don't know how to start this conversation, I have no idea what to say to you, but I just didn't want to say nothing. And then usually they might start talking. But that's a big part of this, isn't it? It's like the snowball effect of that permission and that psychological safety to, to say something. Um, and I think that's why, to me, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't not reach out and invite you to have this conversation publicly because I wanted to have this conversation with you privately because, you know, for me, it's really important to not stay silent. And I think part of that is because of the the personal experiences that we've had as a family when we see the impact in a different way of people's silence and you know I've experienced it with organizations we've worked with you know the the difference that it makes when you know when a leader says I don't have all the answers but you know together we can have this brave conversation yeah and, and we'll figure it out right they just like where's the line like maybe this person doesn't want to think about it or talk about it in a yeah. work setting so like maybe i'm not setting them by bringing it up it's mm. you know it and and i, I think yeah. if someone if you didn't want to talk about your husband you would say to someone like thank you so much i just don't feel like i'm in a place to talk about it right now but you've still mm. given the message that you care and you said something instead of pretending yeah. it's not happening yeah Absolutely. And I have seen some really, really amazing examples of that in the last month. Um, but but sadly, they're kind of, to me, they're too few and far between. So, you know, to to, to you, it must must feel more um, more than that. Um, I would like to ask, dig into a bit more about the, the focus groups that you um, ran, if that's OK, next, because I really want to know and I'm sure people listening to this will really want to know how have these events impacted the people that you have 
list, you know, have listened to at these focus groups? What did they tell you? So what was amazing is I don't even know how you know how word spreads, but all sorts of people engaged with that I've never even spoken to. Company, yes, that's amazing. That's so we were talking about, you know. HR directs like one. I got one phone call. It wasn't even in the forum, and I've never spoken to him. He's like, I've been an HR director for twenty-seven years. I've been looking after people such a long time, and I, I just he's like Rachel. I feel really stuck. I, we had such an open honest conversation within the first minute and I feel like I'm, we're not getting it right as a firm and, and I don't really know what to do. And, and like you were saying, because um, the depth of feeling and the range of views and opinions and perspectives, it's like that fear of not upsetting anyone. Yeah. And then I had um, inclusion leads saying, we've spoken to our Jewish colleagues, we know they feel alone and isolated and vulnerable and then at the start it was the fight to even issue a statement which a lot of companies decided not to do or they would do whether it's internal external do we use the word terrorism and then that had a whole snowball on how people felt Mm. and I've been speaking to a lot of inclusion needs about just how in DEI approaches religion in general Mm -hmm. it's a lot around celebration fun food festivals we've seen it just now with all these wonderful posts for Diwali you know lights people in color and we did this at work and we cooked this and we made this light Mm. and but Mm. it's not really understanding how I don't know it is to be a Hindu or to be Jewish Mm. the identity your culture your community it's just mm-hmm. about like, yes, we celebrate Hanukkah, or yes, we do do our, yes, we do. And I think even I'm realizing, so loads of people who are Jewish and don't feel Jewish at all. They, it, it's not so much about a religion, like lots of Jewish people are atheists, but it's, it's yeah. they suddenly feel part of a, an ethnic group. And there's obviously huge diversity and intersectionality amongst us. So a lot of people think, well, Jewish people are white, so you don't really see them as a minority. But I know plenty of Jewish people who are black or they look Indian or they, you know, it's not, there's all kind of sorts of things there. Um, so that's some of the issues like for, for, for leaders trying to navigate. And then for, for Jew, we had a lot of Jewish voices so some really senior leaders so it wasn't just about being kind of a lower down in the business but senior leaders senior partners in law firms talking about sobbing in the toilets at work even wanting to leave their place of work because of the silence or the basic lack of human empathy from colleagues lots of concerns now coming through about how if there is a feeling of anti-Semitism as well, how that can impact on your career progression, your development, your performance reviews. More and more stories of struggling, like everyone struggles with this, but but social media. So looking at what her colleague has even just liked, what they Mm. are saying. I heard yesterday at a big um, organization, someone talking about how one, it seems like one of their, colleagues like support supports Hamas openly online and that makes them feel really uncomfortable to sit next to them at work and then a lot of people just don't want to get involved in this complex political discourse like they never wanted to be that person having that debate 
Um, and there's a bit of well, quite a lot, like I spoke to this global um, tech company director who was saying, like, my organization has won all sorts of awards for their commitment to social justice. And, mm -hmm. and he's just really angry about no statement and, and not feeling heard. And quite a lot of, I mean, the thing is, I keep saying to people, don't get angry. Like, how would anyone know if you haven't told them? So, you know, the impact of how anti-Semitism, how it impacts like me on a daily life, on a micro level. And that's why having these talks to to explain that, we're really hurting and kind of going through a bit of a, a cultural crisis. So yeah. no one would understand that if you haven't heard someone say it. Who's in that and it, it feels to me like where we're going with this is that this these atrocities are an opportunity to go beyond the kind of joy washing that happens within organisations that is acknowledging those wonderful and joyful parts of those cultures and actually step into, like you say, what it really means for people and understanding those cultures at a deeper level and, and developing that cultural intelligence. Um, and what we're going to be doing, we won't stop here with this conversation, we're going to be um, talking to a cultural intelligence expert who will be sharing more on how organisations can move to that next level, which I'm, I'm really, really pleased to, to be able to bring that conversation to, um, to our audience. Um, I really want to now kind of dive into the practical things that leaders can do if that's all right Rachel so um what I mean first of all what what do you think leaders really need to know right now and how can they best use that information to support their people better what what I've been trying to kind of say time and time again to everyone I speak to on this is yeah you know whether you're a leader or you just you know in a team with a colleague or whatever you know how to look after people like we're not in a place we were 20 years ago where there's no such thing as well-being or inclusion or like <laughs> you, you've to see this for such a long time we've got yeah. you you have to adopt the same strategies you need to step away from the politics and focus on being human. You don't need to have a view, you don't need to understand the conflict, you just need to respond with empathy and compassion. It's like reaching out, making a human connection, helping a colleague feel safer, less lonely. Like we said earlier, it's just starting from a place of curiosity and care. How can I support you? How are you being impacted? what do you still need and very very importantly if you are supporting a jewish group or a person in that way you are not saying that other communities and other religions are not also struggling yeah. and it's not like if i'm reaching out like us having this conversation now is not at the expense of another group of people no. And what's really difficult as a Jewish person, I don't know if you've heard of the term whataboutery, but this whataboutery, so you say something and it's like, well, what about this? Yeah. We're not, it's not in a position of comparing, you know, that's what you do when you're, you have a sibling and you say it's not fair. We're not comparing which group is worse or better off. 
just how you I don't know if you have someone come in and speak about their experience of ADHD no one in the audience is thinking well it's not fair that you're doing in a whole hour on ADHD and you're not now talking about how someone's impacted by dyslexia or autism yeah. so it's like take that moment to talk about that um I think we've already really gone into the fact that silence is just not an option I'll say it for like the fourth time yeah for the people but, at the back yeah yeah <laughs> in terms of understanding like Jewish people a little bit I think and this like people don't understand what a tiny 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 community we are like most people have idea how many Jewish people there are in the world there are only 15 million in the entire world that's 0.2% of the population that's 270,000 in the whole of the UK so when you hear there are 300,000 demonstrating you know these are scary numbers but because of our tiny size it does mean that each Jewish person either knows someone personally who was murdered raped kidnapped yeah. or is only one or two people removed from someone who knows someone personally and that's where you really really feel it and only now i'm realizing how you cannot underestimate that generational trauma so anti-semitism is the oldest form of hate on earth it did not start with the nazis and i grew up as a child for thousands of years knowing about the marginalization, oppression, violence that every generation has experienced. Like my kids since the age of three have been practicing like kids practice for a fire drill. They've been in Jewish schools and they've always practiced hiding under a desk if there's a lot like that. So we've always thought a terror could happen. We just didn't actually believe it would. And real, real inclusion means every single employee feels safe welcome embraced and empowered and as anti-semitism rises many jewish people do not feel that they don't feel that outside of work they don't feel yeah. like that inside of work and any kind of bias that goes unchecked will inevitably begin to affect people lead to a non-inclusive work culture really healthy interpersonal interactions and i think that discrimination against any group you know, look how we reacted after George Floyd, after Me Too, all of these things. Um, any discrimination against one group is a threat to everyone. Yes. So in fact, all those things we know, you know, whether it's anti-Semitism, racism, um, transphobia, whatever it is, yep. any phobia, like what is it? How does it work? How do you spot it? And how do you stop it as an ally? Um, and the other big problem that organizations have, because of the reasons going back to the beginning, some Jewish people hide their identity. So you don't know, but just so you don't know who's neurodiverse, you yeah. might not know yeah. who, is, who is gay. There is a danger here that people are going to go even more insular and hide even more. And one organization really with the best of intentions said, let's get a list of who is Jewish. Now, if you go back to the Holocaust, just the word list is very triggering for Jewish people, because if you're on the list, you are going to a concentration camp. So this situation, it's really, really impacting our day to day life. And I think organizations have a shared responsibility to know 
for Jewish colleagues to feel, and clients and suppliers and everyone else to feel seen, heard, truly valued, and that they really belong. I think, in some ways. Yeah, yeah but it's such a, a liberating thought, isn't it? Is that all of the work that has gone on to lay the foundations for an inclusive culture are applicable in exactly the same way here and I think once you remove that layer of politically charged fear and go back to it is about you know once you remove the politics it's about human and this is about dealing with this in a human way in the same way that you would deal with any other aspect of inclusion it's about connecting with people with empathy and finding out what they need and allowing those voices to inform what you do next rather than making those like you say that that's of such a powerful example of the you know the good intention to compile a list of people who are potentially impacted um, so that they can take action but actually it being totally the wrong thing to do in this context um so that is hugely practical um, for leaders listening to this, Rachel. Is there anything else before we wrap up the conversation that you would like to share? Is there anything that we haven't covered in our conversation that you want people to know that are listening to this? Part of the big problem of kind of experiencing this is also I really feel like my brain doesn't work in the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. That's a very real thing that's impacting yeah. people in the workplace. Like you just suddenly yeah. get emotional from nowhere. And, you know, I've done talks to thousands of people without even flinching about it, but having this conversation oh. so deeply personal and difficult and triggering and like so also recognizing that sometimes people want to talk about it not want to talk about it may not be functioning at probably definitely won't be functioning at their full capacity and then leaders say like don't worry don't come into work if you don't feel up to it but then also you're like going even more into like it's the same after COVID people feared to go back into the workplace and there's a but a lot of like oh this is a mental health problem and it you feel like your mental health is going a bit, but it's not really about that. It's just use all those strategies that you already have and just listen and understand really and try to empathize. It's a fantastic message to end on. Thank you so, so very much for joining me for this conversation. Um, where can people reach out to you, Rachel? Well, I try to be on the only form of social media I use is LinkedIn. So I'm sharing bits on there nearly every day. Um, But just go onto my website, find my contact details. Everyone needs something different. I'm the whole way my business has evolved in 22 years is just listening to what people need and then trying to provide it. So we're not fixed in any way of what support we provide and how we do it. So just kind of share with us what you need or what your challenges are and we'll try to help you okay amazing take great care of yourself and thank you again for this conversation today take care Rachel thank you